0: the epistle to the Hebrews, if you would turn there to chapter (coughs) 2, Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, before i begin i do want to say uh, i certainly announced this at the beginning of this series uh, and uh, since that time we've had people uh, begin to attend here let me say that the warnings of hebrews are important many many times for those of us who believe in the sovereignty of god salvation entirely by the grace of God, uh, it is easy for us to come upon some of the hard portions of Scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm saved, so everything's okay. Well, we're not more knowledgeable than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit set these words here, and we will see several of them, these warnings throughout our studies in this wonderful letter, Christ himself preached with clarity that there are those who will say, Lord, Lord. And he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. And my purpose is not to trouble God's children in and of themselves. But at the same time, any preacher who stands before God's people cannot pick and choose what to preach and what not to preach, especially if he thinks his job depends on it. If his work is a job to him, he needs to be out of the pulpit. The pastoral ministry is one of calling, not hiring and firing. And so when we come to these difficult portions, I only want people to be troubled this far. When you hear God's word and when you hear it plainly applied to your soul and you realize that you are lost, I want you so troubled that you will come to Christ For God's people, sometimes we do need to be troubled because we're beginning to backslide. The call of the world comes to every single one of us every single day. And as Octavius Winslow says so powerfully in his book, Personal Declension, and as Mark Jones says uh, in his excellent book, which I commend to everyone here, The Pilgrim's Regress. He makes very, very clear um, that backsliding comes uh, subtly and we begin to slip and to drift very easily. And very often, by the time you recognize it, you are backslidden. And something that upon that recognition, you need to repent. As quickly and as fervently as you possibly can. Uh -uh. So. I hope in every one of the passages that are warnings. Constantly to set Christ before his people. But not a pat on the head. There only. That we might look to our Lord and ask him earnestly. Is it I? Lord, am I sliding? And I trust these warnings will be helpful to you. Even if they're only a warning shot across the bow, each of us needs to examine himself regularly. Especially those who are in secular work because the... uh, The corporations of this world and many businesses are becoming the havens of pagan doctrine, pagan worldview. If it's to be, it's up to me kind of stuff. Now, if it's to be for any of God's children, it's to be because of Christ, his mercy, his grace, and our love for him. So uh, that's like the warning sticker Let me just say, please, hear these things and take them seriously. But always be fixed on Christ. That being said, please stand with me. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We have the privilege... Of hearing God's word. May we listen. May we indeed. Earnestly take heed. To what is said here. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed. To the things which we have heard. Lest at any time. We should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Amen. Let's remain standing for prayer. Great God of wonders, how we lift our voices in praise to thee. I thank thee for thy people's singing heartily to thee today. And I do pray that Thou wert honored as we sang with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And I do pray that it was an encouragement that these are many sermons. And I thank Thee for the wonderful treasure trove of hymns old and new that Thou hast given to us. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And now, O Father... I do pray yet again for thy people, fill them, feed them the holy manna that is Christ. O bread of heaven, feed us today. Encourage and build up thy people, and I pray, O Jesus, the Lord and Savior of sinners, pass Buy here, draw the lost to thee today. And Father, if of any of thy dear children have begun to drift into the stupor of backsliding, I pray with all of my heart that thou wouldst go after that sheep and bring them back to the fold. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Shh. <laughs> May our Heavenly Father, through His holy enthroned Son, our blessed Intercessor, come by the life-giving force of the Holy Spirit and give us ears to hear His Word this morning. The title of our message is, Are You Earnestly Listening to Jesus?, This is part three. By God's grace, part one taught us that the believer's essential responsibility is to hear, believe, and obey Christ. The old covenant fathers heard God's voice through the prophets, but in these last days, God's people have heard God's voice through God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the point is this, Christ and his new covenant revelation are vastly superior to the old covenant revelation. And why? All 14 verses of chapter 1 tell us why. All 14 verses of chapter 1 reveal the radiant splendor and deity of the enthroned Son of God, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. For that reason, chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore, which connects those 14 glorious Verses to the first warning in Hebrews five such warnings appear in this sermonic letter and this is a good moment uh, in our review to point out the structure of the author's warnings there are two parts essentially not complete agreement about how many parts there are but Uh -uh, There are two unarguable points. Number one, he gives one or more exhortations to his readers to persevere in the faith. Number two, he follows it with dire consequences that come from ignoring his warnings. Each one of these warnings, however, else and whatever other elements we might perceive, he always gives one or more exhortations to the readers, and they're specific about persevering, persevering in perilous times in Christ. And secondly, he follows it with the dire consequences that come from ignoring those warnings. And remember, he is writing to believers, at least professed believers. So we see this plainly in uh, our first warning, the exhortation, therefore we those who profess Christ, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Then the consequences, lest at any time we should let them slip. If you do not give earnest heed, To the things said, and we've already done exposition of this, I can encourage you to go back and listen, but primarily the things that Christ said and the apostles, especially the gospel itself. If you do not give more earnest heed, the danger is drifting away. So the meaning of this morning is essentially this. Because the glorious revelation of Christ, his deity, humanity, redemptive sacrifice and enthronement in chapter one is true. It is necessary for those of us who profess faith in Christ to pay far, far greater attention to the words that we have heard from him. Very often our mind is, well, you know, those lost people ought to listen to him. The Holy Spirit is saying, those of you that profess his name, I want you to see how glorious he is and the wonder of the things he has said. But you need to put far greater thought Meditation, Holy Spirit hearing to what he said so that you don't drift. Why? Because apostasy is real. Falling away from the truth of Christ is real. Hebrews will teach us that throughout its wonderful chapters. Now, in part two, we learned that the words that Christ spoke are superior to the words angels spoke. Again, the warning is primarily to Jews who are tempted to leave the faith and go back to the Old Covenant. Again, the Holy Spirit brings us face-to-face with the superiority of the God-man's new covenant revelation to the old covenant revelation. Verse 2 begins with exhortation. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward... Now there we see the unbending justice of Old Covenant law. So if God's law given at Mount Sinai to Moses and angels is known to be true, legally binding and enforced, and if God gave every violation of or disobedience to his law, a penalty according to his perfect justice, if that's the case, then comes the dire consequences. And let me say to the children, dire, D-I-R-E, means extremely dangerous. Dangerous. Extremely urgent and serious. And what are those dire consequences. Regarding God's justice upon those who broke his law. The dire consequence is how shall we escape. If we neglect. So great salvation. <clears throat> How? How shall we escape? The meaning of escape here. Is not. Uh, the idea that we generally use it today. For instance. An escape from prison. An escape from confinement. It's not the idea. <clears throat> the force behind the word is avoiding. How will we avoid God's wrath? How are you going to avoid the just wrath of God if you ignore? The glory of the gospel of God's grace in Christ. And though the word hell is not used here. That is the implication. What is it that we're trying to avoid? How will we avoid the greater condemnation than the lawbreakers? Because of the greater revelation that we have. How? Well, the day of judgment is a real future event. I say it often. We're a day closer. Everybody's clock is moving toward the end of their own time. Everybody here. It is coming. It will happen. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Everyone, this is God's inspired word. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. There is pardon of sin by faith in Christ or the lake of fire with the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. It won't be a big party like some very famous movies have attempted to express. You're not going to be with your friends partying. You will hate them as much as you hate God. You will hate them because they didn't point you to Christ. And now you are both under God's unrelenting wrath. There will be no laughter in hell. No jokes. No smiles. Misery. Beyond our present conception. Our misery in this world stops. Sooner or later. No matter how long we endure it. But it will not be so. In hell. How will you escape that? This is what he's talking about. How shall we Escape if we, those of us who are living in these last days, gospel days, if we neglect the glorious, merciful, loving message of God's salvation by grace through faith in the crucified and resurrected Savior. We will not avoid a condemnation worse than will be experienced by those under the Mosaic covenant. We will not escape that. You living in gospel days have the greatest blessing and the greatest curse because God has affirmed his mercy. God has shown His love in giving us Christ Jesus, His only begotten Son, to say, ah, no, got some partying to do, got some important things I want to accomplish in my life. They will mean nothing to you as you lie in the flames of eternity. Nothing. How will you escape? How will you avoid that? Well, I'll try to be better. Your works will never save you. That is why this gospel revelation is so important. It is all about changing your mind about your sin and believing on the crucified and resurrected Savior. You will never be saved any other way. There are no other paths. That is a lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me, there is no other option. You will live in the pardon of God, in the grace of God, and join him in eternity for the glory and beauty of that that glorious place. Eternal joy, eternal peace, no wars, no fights, no envy, no liars. None. The day of judgment is real. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, how are you going to avoid this? If you think it was tough in the Old Testament where God punished for every broken law, you have no idea what is waiting for you in the day of judgment. It eclipses that. my friends we will not avoid condemnation apart from childlike faith in the words of Christ we do not see him now but we have been given his words this is what the author of Hebrews is saying you've heard something That came from him. That came from the apostles. Take heed. Give much more attention. Give far greater attention. Because you live in a day of greater revelation. In other words. To break God's law surely brings God's wrath. Upon sinners in this world and the next. But to ignore God's mercy. His grace. His love. In sending his only begotten son to Calvary's cross. To suffer under his burning wrath. His wrath fell wave. After wave, after wave upon Christ's body, upon Christ's soul. He not only suffered in his body, which we cannot imagine, but the sufferings in his soul as he felt, as he saw himself cut off from God because he was being treated as an unclean thing. An unclean, hell-deserving sinner. He was not. But because he was sinless, he could stand in the place of those who were. And he did. He could cry out, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is what judgment from God ultimately is. Forsaken by God under his judgment. There will be no second chance. Every now and then I talk to prisoners or those who have been in some of our organizations that care for men who come out of prison or are homeless. And they will say, God's the God of second chances. And I had a man say that to me recently right across my fence. We were talking. And he said, God's the God of second chances, you know. And I said, that's why you're still breathing. When you die, all second chances evaporate forever. God has done the most astonishing thing that the human mind can comprehend. His eternal son, Christ. Uh, the the eternal son who became a man so that he could die for humans and not just die we all hear stories of great heroes who lay down their lives for their friends or for their family or for their country but they can't save anybody's soul they might their, their sacrifice will, may go a long way to, to win freedom. Those are all good things. I'm not diminishing them. But what I'm saying is that everlasting souls are at stake in what we're talking about. There's no escape hatch. There's no parachute. There's no easy way. There's coming to see yourself for the sinner that you are, that you live breaking God's laws, and that your only hope for them to be pardoned is to repent of your sins, change your mind about your sins, and listen to the truth of the gospel, that the God-man died, rose again, conquering death, having paid the sin debt of sinners there's no greater good news there is no greater good news and only those that arrive in heaven will see and understand something of the depth of what God has done for them the warnings in scripture are important I repeat And many who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, will find out in the day of judgment they were no such thing. They were just talkers. So how will you avoid a greater condemnation? How will you avoid if you are unconcerned about your soul? There's one thing that you have that you can lose forever, and that is your soul. Jesus himself said this, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? In other words, all the riches, all the fame, all the acclamations, all the applause of the world will burn up and it will mean nothing to you in hell. It wasn't worth your soul. All of the diamonds and pearls and stocks, money market accounts and everything that you had, you will realize it was not worth your soul, but then it will be too late to change it. I do not tell you that as an angry man. I tell you that as a man who is crying out, fire. To this day, it's etched in my memory of seeing people jump out of the Twin Towers to save their lives from the consuming fire that was crawling up the building. It didn't save them. They escaped those fires, but their choice didn't save their life. There are greater fires coming. And I say to us who profess to be Christians, if you pay no attention to what Christ has said, not simply in the gospel, but what he calls us to, the greatest shock in your existence may be the day of judgment. That will bring dire consequences so now we consider God's revelation of so great salvation in Christ and that it has a greater testimony than the Old Testament prophets and angels this is verses 3 and 4 the Holy Scriptures proclaim in Deuteronomy 1915, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity Or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. God is a just God. And in his justice, men, women were not brought to just punishment. Unless there were two or three eye or ear witnesses. And we find the same law applied in the New Testament. That's not simply the Old Testament. Paul says to the Corinthians, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And we see that spirit inspired pattern regarding the message. Of so great salvation. We see that very thing right here in the text we're looking at. First of all, the testimony of Christ. Our text speaks of such a great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. The Lord spoken of here is the God man, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the incarnate Son of God, truly God, truly man, the great sacrifice. While John the Baptist is not mentioned in this text, he testified of Christ. John the Apostle said of John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God. A man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. To bear witness of the light. That all men through him might believe. God sent his mouthpiece. John the Baptist to say. He's coming. We've been praying as a nation. For hundreds and hundreds of years. He's coming. And then he could say. He's here. Jesus Christ himself testified, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John said, he's the light. Christ said, I am the light. Agreement. Two, testi- uh, two testifiers. The Jesus Christ set before us testified, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus began his public ministry saying, <clears throat> the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It has drawn near. It's here. Why? Because the king was there. And we don't see him exercising his kingship yet. Well, he was the king before the foundation of the world. And now the God-man comes into this world calling men to his kingdom the Pharisees said to him thou bearest record of thyself thy record is not true Jesus answered and said unto them though I bear record of myself yet my record is true for I know whence I came I know where I came from it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly, his entire existence on this planet. We can't gather that. It's hard for us weak and feeble human beings to walk in the righteousness that God has set before us. But Jesus stood on the law itself and said, you got a testimony. You should hear it. You should believe what's being said. Again, Jesus said to his disciples, believe me that I am in the Father. This is to his own group. I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. If you can't handle believing who I am, watch what I do and then make a conclusion. Even John the Baptist began to doubt whether Jesus was the Christ, and he sent his disciples to him with questions. Jesus replied, go your way and tell John what things Ye have seen and heard how that the blind see the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. This is all fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He just says, go tell them what the word says, and it's happening. The Word bore witness to Christ. God the Father bears witness to Christ. Christ bore witness to himself. Jesus boldly proclaimed, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, who did he say this to? He said it to his disciples, the people that said, you're the Christ. Well, they immediately protested what he just said, but he had just set the heart of the gospel before them. They didn't understand it. We're going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Why is he going to die? He's going to die for the sins of his people. And that he will be raised again. There, my friends, there is the gospel briefly summarized. The God-man dying on the cross as the sin-bearing substitute. As the payment for the sins of God's people. That's why Jesus openly called sinners to himself. For everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And this is the will of him that sent me, God the Father, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Do you? Understand you're hearing eternal words that are telling you. Especially if you were here today and you have not come to Christ. God himself has said, here's my son. John the Baptist said, there he is. Jesus said, I am the one. And he said, come to me. Come to me in repentance and faith. And you will not only be forgiven. You will have everlasting life. It's too easy. That's too easy. It wasn't easy for Christ. I can tell you, this is the the glorious holding forth of Christ to sinners. You're having it here today. Jesus said, come to me. Again, this is the will of him that sent me that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is not only resurrected from the dead. All those that believe on him will be astonished at the day when, when they're called out of the grave. when their bodies rise again for that incredible day of judgment. And the sheep will go into everlasting life, but the goats will be cast into everlasting burnings. Jesus again said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Dead in trespasses and trespasses in sin and under the judgment of God. Sinners in this world are not waiting to be judged. They're, they already have the death penalty on them. And if, that, if they die in that death penalty, they will be forever lost. 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 Yet shall he live. Why will you die without him? How will you avoid? That great punishment. In Christ's holy words, good works and miracles, Jesus testified of so great salvation. But there's more. The testimony of the apostles. Again, our text says, And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Christ's chosen apostles testified of Christ and confirmed our so great salvation. After his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. In other words, the whole Old Testament concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures which we all need, and said unto them, "Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer." Do you see the connection with God's words, and paying attention to God's words, and making sure that you continue to give far greater attention to His words? The revelation is greater; the consequences dire for not believing. Thus it is written, and thus it was appropriate for Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day. They're the heart of the gospel. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Go everywhere. Go everywhere and tell them this good news. God has sent men to speak to men on God's behalf. I stand in a pulpit today, uh, tens of thousands, maybe millions of faithful men are standing in pulpits around this world bringing the same message. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Just before his ascension, Jesus said to his disciples, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus believes in one world government. His. Not this phony thing that men are trying to do in this world. Whatever they accomplish, it will still end in hell. There is one Lord of his kingdom and of this universe. God gave it to his son to rule and he's enthroned at the father's right hand right now. He knows every soul here, and he knows everyone in this world. And he says, now go and tell them this good news. Go and preach Christ. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day when time shall be no more. But I will say that on the day of Pentecost, we hear the very things that Christ commanded the disciples to say Peter stands filled with the Holy Spirit this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses God raised up testimony to fill this earth from top to bottom from east to west with the message of Jesus Christ the Lord not to go with guns and bombs and swords but to go with the sword of the Spirit, the holy word of God, and to preach that gospel, that good news. Jesus Christ receives sinners. The God-man died and rose again so that sinners might become the children of God. Their sins washed away forever. Peter goes on to say, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, this extraordinary thing that you're seeing and hearing. You're experiencing this in this world. The power of God and his spirit transforming. People everywhere were beginning to listen to Peter. Jews from every nation, the scripture tells us. And what does he say? repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the pardon, the forgiveness of sins. The message has gone out and Jesus gave us many more words than the gospel alone. He gave us many things. That's why he said to his disciples, go into this world and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've taught. Do you you hear that? This is the king speaking. Go out and start calling people into my kingdom. And I will rule them with grace and with mercy and with love. And I will deal with my enemies later. Go preach the word. Go preach that good news that sets sinners, captives free. Don't think for a moment if you're here as an unbeliever. That you are in some kind of neutral condition. You are bowing. By your life. By what you think. By what you say. Everything that you do. You are bowing. Either to Christ. Or you are. Satan's fool. You serve him. And his dictates. Scripture is very plain about that. There's no middle ground. There's no safe place. But Jesus Christ. Well, I will stop that part. I want to get a little further. But over and over in the book of Acts and many other places throughout the book of Acts, you see witnesses. You see witnesses and testimony to Jesus Christ, the Lord. And finally, there's the testimony of God, the Father, Christ's own testimony, the, the, uh, the testimony of the apostles and of God, the Father. The text says, God also bearing them witness. I don't know if you're as dull as I am. (laughs) There are times I can read words like that and go, "Mm mm-hmm, and keep moving. Without stopping and thinking that God himself, the almighty, the God of the universe, bore witness to his son. There's no higher authority. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was witnessing on the LSU campus once. And I was talking to a young man and and a a fellow walked by. And what the young man said to me after I talked to him for a little while. He said, look, this is simple. You want me to believe that book? I was holding the Bible. He said, you want me to believe that book? And I don't. There's nothing else for us to talk about. God has revealed to this world that He sent His Son into it to save sinners. When you say, "I will not hear it," you're saying, "I'm ready for whatever God you think you have to do. What He thinks He's going to do." God is the ultimate authority. And he has given us his authority in his book. This is the revelation of God. This is the revelation of salvation. This is the revelation by which men's eternal souls are secured in salvation and brought into the glorious realm of heaven when they pass from this world. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will. Before we go further, all of a sudden, something should grip us. It's easy to miss at first. This is why I started with the the, the sermons that I did at the beginning of Hebrews. The Trinity is through that, throughout this book. And here we see the Son, the Father, <clears throat> And the spirit all bearing witness to Jesus. The God of the universe. One in essence. Three eternal persons. All have borne witness to the darkness of this age. That Jesus Christ saves sinners. With this passage. We see all three persons. Bearing witness on earth through Christ and the apostles as such a great salvation. So what? It's why I'm telling you that the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this book. It's exactly why he says, I'm urging you in these last days to make sure that you've given far greater, far greater listening to these words. There's not going to be another revelation of salvation in this time. It's the gospel. And then it is the words that Christ gives us about living in his kingdom. This is what we have been given by our great and wonderful God. Let me say quickly. When Jesus was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The world as a, as a whole is not pleased with Jesus Christ. But God the Father is. Once again, we we see the Trinity. We see the Holy Spirit. We see the Son. We see the Father. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was transfigured before his disciples that he had brought with him. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the clouds which said this. Is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Who's he saying that to? Jesus' disciples, the ones that he took on top of that mountain. Give heed to what God's saying. Here is God's authorization. Listen to him. That means he has words that I've given him. Listen to those words. Oh, my friends, the grace and mercy of God is overwhelming, and it is to be found first in the gospel. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, I will finish the applications next week. God willing, because we have the Lord's Supper still I will not hold longer other than to say this. As we bring this to a close this morning, it should be obvious to you. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all bear testimony to who Christ is, to what he's done and to legitimize Christ coming into the world and saying, believe in me, believe in me. Not Buddha, not the millions upon millions of gods of the Hindus, not yourself, but Christ. I was asked a question in the Q&A two Sundays ago, and it was, how can believers who think they listen earnestly to Christ in the sense of Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, know that they are truly doing so i have to answer this and that's what all of my other applications are for but i'm going to say this we don't know if the lord will come back this week so let me say this the answer lies in your understanding of the idea of hearing how do i know if i'm hearing there's an answer I gave it in short form last week. This is a slightly larger short reply. And it's this. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The words hear and hearing often mean obey. When Jesus says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He has just put a call to you. For you to say no I'm not doing that. Is to disobey. Disobey. His call. Come to me. Why? And I will give you life. I will pardon your sins. So when the Bible says. Hear the words of the Lord. It's saying. Take them in. Understand them. And obey them. This is not something. I have cooked up. This is something that has. Been known by God's people. And have studied. Very often, parents, you know this. You say to your children, are you you hearing me? I want you to hear what I'm saying to you because you want them to process it and then do it. That's the idea. That is the idea. First and foremost, we must know the gospel and justification by faith alone in Christ clearly. We must believe it. And rest in it. And then by Christ. Through faith in Christ. Obey him. Out of love. Not obey them because. Oh. I might be lost. Obey him. Because you believe. His words. And your life begins to show it. You don't become perfect. Nobody gets perfect in this world. But your life begins to bear fruit that the Holy Spirit who regenerates you is beginning to bear the fruit that brings glory to God. It's different as far as time sequences for different people, but God's people always start living like God's people. But that's exactly why you must take heed to what has been said. You can't obey what you don't know if you are not giving yourself to the word of God to know what Christ calls you to. I can tell you, you're probably not obeying him in far more ways than you presently think. There's nothing more important in the life of a believer than the word of God and prayer. We will we'll come to the end of that. Next week, God willing. How do I know that I'm listening? You start walking with Christ. You start obeying Christ. And you know how to obey Him first by the Spirit's help in reading the Word of God. He tells us how to live. Oh, my brethren, the warnings are for the good of God's people, they're for the good of God's people. They're kind of like trimming the tree so that there will be more fruit. Those who have repented and rested in Christ and are walking with him have no need to fear the warnings. At the same time, they must take heed so that they can examine what's going on in their lives. Don't drift away. Make sure you know what your Savior has called you to. Amen. Father in heaven, we want to walk in your word. And thou knowest that we stumble on our our best days. But Father, you do give us a new heart. You do give us thy Holy Spirit. You do give us thy word. And you give us your dear people. And all together we are walking as a community toward that glorious celestial city. Now, Father, for those who do not know Thee here today, O come with the truth that Thou hast set before them and draw them out of their darkness into the light of Christ. And may Thy blessed truth fill our hearts with joy, even when we're being warned. What faithful and good parent doesn't face the experience from time to time of stringently warning their children? And it is an act of love. And so it is from our Father. In Jesus' name, hear our cries and prayers to thee today. And we ask it that thou wouldst be glorified in the name of thy Son. Amen. We'll take a very short break and then we will regather to take the Lord's Supper.